<laughs> hey, uh, grab your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Last book of the Bible is Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should be having some people come around here with some Bibles for you. Uh, if you're not used to bringing your Bible, I want to uh, challenge you, love on you to say you need to start doing it. Let me pray about it. Yep, God wants you to bring your Bible. Okay, uh, that's kind of the deal. Uh, we're Harvest Bible Church. We're not the kind of church where we just open it, read a verse, close it, and talk about what I want to. We want to talk about what God has to say and uh, from his word, and we're big about that. Uh, so as you're turning there, just kind of give you a course for today. We're going to take a little bit since it's been two Sundays since we've been in uh, our series here through Revelation 2 and 3 now. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reminder where we're at with that. Then we're going to dig into the text. And for all of those, uh, all of you blankies who are all uptight about filling in the blanks and the thing, just so you know, so you can be patient and calm and everything, that's going to be like the last five, ten minutes of our time. Uh, we're going to kind of bring it together at the end, if you will, uh, dig into the word uh, before then. So Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Uh, Jesus is sending a message, a letter to each of seven churches. I mean, can you imagine getting a letter from Jesus? Uh, I mean, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, you may say, well, we have one from God's word. But at the same time, I mean, just especially directed at us because these are the churches. Okay, understand the context of that. Uh, letters are cool. Um, you know, we're at, at that point, we're all of a sudden all the holiday letters come out and learning about what everybody's doing. And, and that's really cool to, uh, to see that happen. Uh, other kinds of letters are really cool. Thank you cards are really cool, aren't they? When you get, I just got to share this one with you. It's just, I got it on Thursday, totally out of the blue. Uh, Harvest, you are loved. You're loved. On the inside, it's uh, uh, thank you so much. I love how much you love God. Is that not sweet? It's got like a little sticker of a horse and a chicken and uh, <laughs> Hannah Pointer. Um, how sweet. Handmade. I just had to bring that in and just say, they mean a ton. This one ain't going in the trash, uh, by the way. But uh, letters are really meaningful. Now, the kind of letter that Jesus is sending here uh, isn't really a thank you card, isn't so much just an annual holiday letter. It's really, I might term it an assessment letter. Um, he's sending an assessment letter to each of seven churches in modern-day Turkey. And you can see on the satellite map here where, where these seven churches are. We start in Ephesus. John is uh, writing this from the island of Patmos. It kind of the flow of the cities as it starts uh, bottom uh, left and comes up and around and down. It's just moving in that flow of these cities. Um, and he's writing these assessment letters. I call them these I know letters. It's, hey, hey, church, um, I, I know. I know what's going on there. Uh, it just kind of makes me wonder, hey, Harvest, what would you think if we got, as a church, as a local church, we got an assessment letter from the second person of the Trinity? I mean, what would you think about it? I got to tell you, there's some days I'm like, that would be so cool. I would truly love to be able to hear uh, what Jesus is really thinking just about us, just about us as a church. And then other days I'm like, Oh, please, no, right? I mean, it's just like, oh, please, I don't know if I can handle it. Um, and then I started asking myself, well, why not? Why, why does that kind of the, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to get a letter. Well, I think there's some good reasons for that. One, we're broken people. I mean, 
for those who know Christ as their Savior, we're redeemed in Christ, but we're a broken people serving a perfect Savior. That's pretty intimidating uh, in it. And I understand that, and uh, that's part of it. Uh, and also because we are, I'll just say I, uh, I'm just probably not mature enough to want to be able to take what he might have to say, and especially in my role. It's just like, oh, I just want to die um, kind of a thing. But then as I began thinking about that, I was like, hold the bus here on this. Why fear a letter from our Savior? Let me just remind us of a couple things. We are his local church, his local church. Jesus Christ invented the local church. It was his idea, not man's idea. He loves his local churches. He died so that redeemed people, people could be redeemed back in him to comprise his local churches. His local church is the centerpiece for the carrying out of his great commission. I mean, he's all about the local church. And on top of that, important for today, he calls the local church his bride. Not his nag, his bride. And he's all about growing his bride and preparing his bride for his return. And think about that, preparing his bride for the great banquet. And preparing his bride, as we'll even see in the text today, to to live and reign with him forever. I just got to remind myself and remind us, uh, Jesus is not the nagging, nitpicking, always on edge, arrogant, or abusive groom. You say not. He's not that. And he's not waiting for the opportunity just to crush and tear into his bride. He's not standing there like, dudes, you guys so irritate me. I mean, I've told you a thousand times. I mean, dude, guys, how do I put up with you? Say not. He loves his bride. Jesus is the perfect groom with an imperfect bride. Hey, Jesus is the good-looking groom with the ugly bride. And we're the bride. But we're his bride. And he loves his bride. Okay? I'm greatly saying this because I need to be reminded of this. He loves his imperfect bride. And on top of that, he is actually glorified through his ugly bride. So, as we go into this text, let's remember, he does not speak to crush his bride. He speaks to help his bride. He does not speak to crush his bride. He speaks to help his bride. And so these assessment letters are help letters. And that's what Jesus is doing in Revelation 2 and 3 th- here. He is helping his bride see some things. He's with Thyatira pushing the engine light on. Well, we'll get to that later. It's kind of like this. Then we'll get into the text. 
beginning of chapter two. Hey, Ephesus bride, I love the fact that you're working hard for me, but you've lost your love for me. Now, now would we agree that a bride that is like all about the groom, but is actually not in love with the groom, would we agree that's a problem? And is that not worth being a problem that the groom addresses? True? That's worthy to address. We're not nitpicking because we have an out-of-love problem here. And then in Smyrna, he talks to Smyrna. Hey, Smyrna bride, I know your trials. I know your poverty. I know all the smack talk you're getting. Uh, And then he just, no big butt in this text for Smyrna. He just says, be faithful, bride. Let me remind you, the wedding banquet's coming, and I love you. I also have to say, that is something very worthy of the groom to say to his bride. Way to go, girl. Right? Way to go, girl. So to Ephesus, and then, and then Smyrna, and then, hey, Pergamum bride, uh, poor girl with that name. A Pergamum bride, a love that you're holding fast to the truth of me, uh, but some of you are dating around. That's really what's happening in the text there. And I think we would agree that, that, that a bride that's hugging on the groom and dating around at the same time agree that's not a good thing. A problem? Yeah, problem. Uh, and then today, uh, just moving in here, hey, Thyatira bride, uh, I see your works, I see your love, I see your faith, I see your service but you're sleeping around on me. Can we all agree that's a problem? By the way, can I also note the escalation in the flow here? Ephesus, you're out of love with me. Pergamum, you're dating around on me. Thyatira, you're sleeping around on me. By the way, next week, next church, a Sardis bride, people think our relationship is alive and vibrant, but the fact is there is no relationship. You're dead, girl. Hey, let's pray as we dig into Thyatira. Oh, Lord, let me just turn it this way, Lord, if I can properly. Dear groom, would you help us, your bride, today to see more of you, to understand you better, to be encouraged in you, and also to be challenged in you. Lord, we don't want to be the sleeping around on you, church. Love you, Lord. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Revelation 2, you there? Okay, should be by now. Okay, let's begin by reading the longest of the letters, and this is kind of interesting, written to the smallest of the cities of the seven. So small townies, um, this is kind of us in its setting. I pray it's not us. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are 
are like burnished bronze. Now, if you remember, every time, every one of these seven letters, there's two things that start out every letter. Uh, Jesus gives a, a characteristic trait of who he is that's unique to each of the seven churches. All of those traits have been stated in chapter one of Revelation. So he starts out with a character trait. Then he starts with the next thing saying, I know. Now, now let's talk about the character traits for a minute because this is important. Every one of these character traits are important to the conversation that he has. And what do we see here? We see three things that he says about himself in verse 18. First, the words of the son of God. That's a title, son of God. That does not mean born out of God, uh, not a man, not born, not less than God. Uh, everyone knew in that time when they read that term, they understand equivalent of. This is the equivalent one of God. This is God. This is the second person of the Trinity. And he's making this statement. It's interesting. Uh, this is the only time in all of the book of Revelation that the term son of God is used. And he's using it with these guys. And I think he's using it with these guys because he's got to lay it on the table. Hey, uh, bride, I'm the groom that has divinity and I have authority and you better hear up what I have to say because we got a relationship problem. Okay, and he starts out with that. Then he says, eyes like flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze, uh, coming out of Revelation chapter one. Uh, Are you getting a sense that like the groom's not happy? You know, when, when when he comes and he's like, the groom's like, hey, I'm coming with eyes of fire and feet like bronze. You're like, let's hug. No, I don't think that's the mood at the moment. Uh, The terminology here, uh, penetrating eyes, uh, eyes like flames of fire. Uh, He's not heard rumors. He's not like made an assumption, but he has penetrating eyes, eyes of fire. And that means he can see just as it is. He can see through all the junk He can see through all the punking him. He can see it all. He can see it as it really is. One commentator said, a local church may feel satisfied with itself, have a good reputation in the community, or even with other churches. But the penetrating eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ see it as it really is. Hey, church, you can't pull the wool over his eyes. He sees us as we really are in all our beauty and in all our not beauty. Burnished bronze feet. It's kind of a weird statement for us today. We talked about this back in Revelation chapter one. Back in the day, they understood that this was kind of a judgment terminology. The reason for that is the king was always elevated when he sat, when people would come. They would come, what's the first thing they're seeing out there? The feet. And so the feet over time took on this uh, idea, the bronze feet, the burnished bronze feet of strong authority. Uh, When they read that, they knew exactly what was going on. And it's interesting, in Revelation 19, at the physical second return of Jesus Christ, it it says that he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Get the idea? The feet bring wrath. The feet bring judgment. And now does Jesus love immensely? Absolutely he does, right? He does absolutely. But please know this as well. Does Jesus judge immensely? Absolutely he does. He does. So here's my summary for verse 18. Hey, bride and Thyatira, um, your groom is not looking happy right now. Not the way you want him walking in the door. Why? 
verse 19. I know your works. And by the way, I know Oida. It has this idea of I absolutely know. I thoroughly know. I'm not getting a message I haven't come to know, but I absolutely know your works. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. I don't know about you, but right now you seem pretty happy. And this actually sounds like a proud groom. Uh, I absolutely know your works. I absolutely know your love. I don't think he's gaming them. He's being real here. I I absolutely know your faith. Way to go, bride. I absolutely know your service. The word here is the word for deacon. It's deaconing. I know your deaconing. I think this is really a horizontal service to one another. That's cool. I absolutely know your patient endurance and your persevering. I just have to note here, this is a reminder. Be encouraged, church. Jesus Christ knows exactly all the great things that are happening here. You know, and there may be days where you're like, nobody gets it. Nobody really knows. All the prep that goes into ministering to those little kids, all the patience that goes into ministering to those little kids and the work and and leading a small group or whatever it might be. When those times come where it's like, nobody knows. No, no, no. He knows. He knows. Bride, the groom knows. And that's the important one, okay? What's the first word, verse 20? (laughs) But, the big but, and it's a big one here. But, he knows lots of good things, but uh, he knows there's a problem. Please understand this right now as we move forward any further. This is not a nitpicking problem. This is not a nagging problem. This is not a, you know, like, I'm just kind of like yesterday, you blew it, now I'm on top of you. No, no, no. This is a serious problem. I'm using the terminology here, fitting with this bride and this groom thing, that what's going on, this church is sleeping around on Jesus. Worthy to be addressed. But I have this against you, next three words, that you tolerate. I want to pause right there for a second because I think before we get into what they're tolerating and what's happening there, I think it's very easy to lose sight of what the main verb is, what the main action is, what the main problem is. And it's this word tolerate. It means that you you permit something. You're, you're letting something go. You're allowing something to continue. Uh, tolerance. Now, is the Bible not practical and relevant? Uh, really, we live in a world that the God of tolerance is what drives our world. Uh, at least our culture, I should say. Uh, tolerance. Um, let me remind us of this. We're to be tolerant of a lot of things, church. A lot of things. We're to be tolerant of the fact that we live in a world that is not heaven yet it's a sin cursed world why are we surprised that people sin why are we surprised that each other sins 
We're to tolerate living in the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. This is where we live right now. Better's coming, but this is where we live right now. And we need to tolerate a number of things. We need to tolerate each other, the scripture tells us. We need to have tolerance in suffering. We need to tolerate being mocked. We need to tolerate the weak and the immature. Sometimes it's like, come on, man, pick it up. Tolerate. Why? Because we're called to. And that's what Christ does, and that's what we're to do. We're to tolerate by letting love cover a lot. Man, we can just get on our other sins. You're just like, nah, 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 nah. And it's just like, sometimes just let love cover it. Why? Because Jesus lets a whole lot of love cover our whole lot of junk. Okay? And we need to be a tolerating people. So before I say what I'm going to say, don't think that we're like the sin police running around. Okay? That's not the deal. But verse 20 is formed in a way, this verb is what's called a present active indicative verb. It means it's presently, actively, and continuously tolerating something that you shouldn't be tolerating. There's a lot that we tolerate. There are some things that we're called not to tolerate, and that is continuous, unrepented sin. Do you hear how I'm saying that? I'm not just saying tolerate sin. I am saying tolerate continuous, unrepented sin. They were tolerating that. Like, it's okay. Just keep doing whatever you want. And the church was good with it. And Jesus is like, serious? I mean, like, What do you think I have to say about that? Am I okay with that? I get that my bride's kind of ugly. Got that. But don't keep hitting yourself with the ugly stick. Okay, no, don't do that. You got to stop that. Verse 20, what's going on? But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idol. Okay. Okay. Jezebel. Jezebel. What's the deal with this gal? Okay. Let's set some context. I don't think Jezebel is her name. Okay. And most commentators don't think this is her name. Uh, Did you ever consider, if you have a son or had a son, have you ever considered uh, Judas as one of the names for a son? Uh, I'm going to guess no. And if you did, uh, we need to talk. (laughs) The term Judas carries a whole bunch of knowledge and history with it. Jezebel. The term here for Jezebel goes all the way back to 1 Kings 16. 1 Kings 16, King Ahab is king at the time. And in that chapter, basically God says that the, the most wicked evil decision that King Ahab made was marrying Jezebel. Why? Hear this, because this is really important to understand what's going on at Thyatira. Because at the time, Jezebel influenced the people of Israel to worship Baal. And out of her influence much, many, maybe most of the Israelites, God's people at the time, worshipped Baal. 
Oh, so in this talk, the groom is saying, listen, there's a woman among you, Jezebel. Now, does that not already just fill out a whole context? There's a woman among you that is teaching things, that is drawing you away from me, and is causing you to worship something else just like happened back in 1 Kings. I want to tell you, the groom knows how to say words that bring context without saying a whole lot of words. I wish I were more like him. And he just says this in it. So in Thyatira, that's what's happening. There's this woman there, interesting, calls herself a prophetess. I mean, how do you respond to that when people come and say, I'm this? Oh, oh okay. Like, have others confirmed that? I'll just could go on that one for a while here with her. Uh, it's not the fact that it's a woman, by the way. But there is interesting, a woman teaching the church, and she's calling herself a prophetess, and she's teaching things. We don't know exactly, but here could be some were, were popular in the day. Uh, she could be teaching that God is only interested in one spirit. He only cares about the spirit. The physical side of you is irrelevant. She'll just live it up, man. Well, that makes sense in light of what is being said here. So eat idle food, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's physical. Go ahead, sleep around. That's okay. That's the physical. God is only interested in your spiritual side. Um, can we all say baloney? Okay, that's, that's a theological word. Uh, she could have also been teaching sin doesn't matter because God forgives. Hey, God forgives, so just just do it. Or that... Uh, The follower of Christ needs to understand, we'll see in the text here in a little bit, the things of Satan so that they can better understand how to minister to people without Christ. Uh, Okay. Um, So what's going on here? Do you see in the text how relational this is, how intimate this talk is? That's why I started this morning in talking about this, about a groom and a bride. Because I think when you just read this through, it's kind of like it doesn't fit. Because too often we think of uh, Christianity maybe as religion and not as relationship. This is relationship. This is the groom with the bride. And and, um, the church is tolerating each other sleeping around spiritually and physically. bad idea so the brides tolerated these truths and allowing people to jump in bed with them and that's what's happening jesus's bride is jumping in bed with another lover and the church is not standing up and saying anything about that now we all sin right (laughs) okay Uh, i'm not telling nobody We all sin, right? Okay, we do. Uh, This is a hospital for sinners, but hear me on this. Not a grace brothel for sin. Okay? This isn't a haven for saints, and this is not a grace brothel for sin. This is a hospital for sinners. And, and, And let's not be the sin police. 
we're walking around and someone steps out of line from our perspective and it's like, gotcha, gotcha. No, no, that's not what's happening here. This church has been going on for years. This is a whole slow fade thing. This has been happening for years of time now. And we all sin, uh, but I'll just say this. Is it possible that we, I'm going to start with we as a church. Is it possible that we as a church are potentially being okay with spiritual adultery? There is a line here, folks. We all sin and yet continuous unrepented sin is not to be something that's accepted. Why? Because the groom loves his church and he wants his people, his church comprised of individuals, to be holy and growing unto him, not only for his glory, but also for our good. Bride, this is for our good. And he's calling them to the table. It didn't happen overnight. And I'm just asking, uh, could we, could you be tolerating untruths? Like here's some, whatever you think is right, is right for you. I'm just curious, what would Jesus say about that? Always always lead to God. Jesus had said some things about that. Like I am the way. Here's another one, you need a higher self-image. You periodically hear me bring this up. I'm just telling you, it's the God of our day. You don't need a higher self-image. You need a right self-image. And that includes, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says that God loves you and that Jesus has died for you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that is to provide redemption for your sins, forgiveness over your sins. And he says that he has died for you, making himself available. As many as received him, to them he became, he gave the right to become children of God. That's rightly seeing yourself. I'm a sinner separated from God. Listen, there's the hope in that. When you see that, there's hope. You can be redeemed back, bought back, purchased back, as, as Nick prayed and as we sang about. That can happen. If you receive Christ as your Savior, that's a right view of yourself. And then a right view of yourself, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you this is way, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and after, way better than some kind of self-esteem baloney. You've been raised, you've been redeemed, you've been joined with, you've been seated with. The old is gone, the new has come. You are his child. Hey, grab a hold of that rather than the, I just need to think better of myself. Like, hold on to him. Think better of him and see yourself as he sees you. Oh, okay. Um, Here's another. (laughs) Dating an unbeliever, that's okay. Just don't go there, been there, don't go there. Sex out of sight of marriage, that's okay. I'm curious what the groom would say about that. If it feels good, do it. Ah, everybody does it. Here's another one. Let go and let God. You know, that's not in the Bible. And I gotta tell you, I don't even have the foggiest idea what that means. I don't even have the foggiest idea what that means. Let go and let God. Okay. Uh, Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he was not God. 
But that's why they crucified him. Because he said he was God. And a good moral teacher can't lie. You deserve health, wealth, and happiness, and health care. Um, <laughs> we're just going to go on. You know, here's Thyatira. God forgives, so it's okay to continue in sin. I wonder what the groom would say. We got the idea? I just want to ask the question while we're here. Have there, seriously. And I'm going to talk about the person next to you. I'm talking about you and me. Have you been jumping in bed with another theological lover? Why were the people in Thyatira sleeping around? I think two reasons. Because it sounded good. It just sounded good. I mean, I like the idea. I mean, I want Jesus and lovers on the side. Uh, Number two, uh, because of their wallets, careers, and family. Let me just note this. Back in that day, especially in Thyatira's history, tells about it, uh, all work and all jobs were set up in a, um, a guild system. And in the guild system, if you were a carpenter, if you were a, you know, a iron maker, whatever it might be at the time, you were part of a guild system. And that guild system had its own kind of God system that it held to. And if you didn't hold to that system of God thing, you had the opportunity to lose your job and career. And that meant no money. And that meant no food on the table. And that meant impact on your family. And that then comes into this wrestling. Well, but we live in a sin-cursed world. So, you know, we just got to put up with some things and, you know, just go ahead and just go along with it. And, and because if I proclaim Christ and I'm a follower of Christ, I may lose my job and all the implications of that. Can you feel how hard that would have put you in? So I do want to be very sensitive to these people in Thyatira at the time because, boy, friends, they had it on the table, literally, on what they were going to do. And yet the groom says, guys, um, you've been caught in this slow fade, and uh, I, I want to call you out. I love you. Verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess as teaching and seducing, again, this relationship thing, seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. I might ask you to underline that. Because it shows Christ's heart here. Hey, here's this woman. Okay, whether it's a woman, a man, whatever. Here's this person teaching untruth to his bride, to his local church there. And Jesus knew it. And hear me on this. He's allowing it. Why? That she would have time to repent. Do do, do you see how patient God is with people? And yet sometimes we as believers and we as the church can be so impatient with people. Doggone it. Can you believe that they messed up? Can you believe that they sinned? I mean, can you believe that? Yeah. Can. If Jesus gives this heresy teaching person time to repent 
we need to consider being the kind of people that give people some space and room and time to repent. But do know this, this doesn't mean staying out of it and just letting them fall into doom. This means speaking up and giving them time. I'm gonna tell you in the last five years, this has been one area for me that I think God has helped me grow in. Just give some people some room sometimes. Just give them some room and chill out. We're all growing. We're all growing, right? All of us. And he gives her time. But do know this, time runs out. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. By the way, do you see the choice in there? She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. Um, I actually think what this is implying is uh, I'm going to take her out. Death. Do you get the idea Jesus is also serious about this? Patient, giving time, but very, very serious. It's like, I'm going to let her go. I want her to repent. But if it doesn't happen, I'm taking her out, man. That's what he's doing here. And those who commit adultery... Oh, and those who commit adultery and those who are like going along with her in it. Whoa, whoa. Now we're on the next tier. Watch it. Watch it. Those who commit adultery with her. This isn't about religion. This is about relationship. That's why the terminology. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. He's like, bride, I love you. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to make it painful for you if you don't turn around and I'm going to make it painful for you. Why? Because I love you. And I don't want you going down that road. It's just going to be bad stuff. So I love you so much. I'm going to bring pain into your life, tribulation in your life. And unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. I honestly don't know, and as I've researched with others, I don't know if I can say confidently one way or the other. Is that literally her physical children or spiritual children? I tend with the context to go spiritual children. But I'm not sure. Harvest, we don't want to be this kind of bride, do we? Keep reading, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you as your works deserve. By the way, judgment is works-oriented. Judgment is of the works. We're not talking about going to heaven or hell here. We're talking about this. Picture this. Just at a wedding last weekend on my knees. Can you imagine at the banquet, the great banquet, the great banquet, all of a sudden, the groom stands up. He says, I now want to tell you about my bride. What would he say about us? Uh, he, what, what would happen there in that is you begin telling why they are what they are. They are, it's coming out of what they've done. Uh, works do not save you, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, okay? You cannot be saved by your works. Not by works, right? Uh, only by grace, by receiving Christ and the gift of that, only by that. And so we're not talking about that, but we are talking about the judgment for what you've done with that. Can you imagine the bride standing up or the groom standing up and going, I want to talk to you about my bride. And it's like, I, I really don't have much to say. Still my bride. Next. <laughs> 
Uh, listen, it's this idea here bringing into this that the groom stands up and he says, we're, we're, we're finishing an address to my bride and um, let me tell you about what my bride has done. And she's done this and this for me and this and this for me and this happened and they loved me and, and they did this and they did, th- you got the idea? That moment. That moment's a big deal, folks. And I'll put it this way. We're working for that moment. Not for the heaven or hell moment, but for the rewarding of works. That's why the end of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that even our works have been ordained by him, but our works are important for him. That's connect the dots. Let's finish up. Verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, uh, who do not hold to this teaching. In other words, there are some who are not doing this. Remember Pergamum? Some were doing the, remember the bug? Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, see, that brings it back, doesn't it? Some were doing that. The most were saying, no, don't do that. It's the opposite here. Most were actually doing, but some were, I think, in the flow of the context. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not uh, learned what some call the deep things of Satan. I'm not going to go into that. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Look, verse 25, only hold fast. Only hold fast what you have until I come. I mean, that's it. Hey, King, let's just hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus. Velcro ourselves to Jesus. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. Uh, Go to Revelation 22, 16. Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. Isn't that cool? The groom says, I will give you all of me. Verse 29, he who has ears, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. All you blankies. Here you go. Application truths. Four for the bride of Christ. Remember, the text is addressing the church, followers of Christ. Four things. Number one, the groom knows his bride's heart. The groom knows his bride's heart. That's comforting and convicting. You can't fool him, you can't punk him. And if you have been trying to, I would encourage you just to stop trying because he sees it all anyway. And he's willing to take you as ugly as you are right now. I don't know what this week has held, but if this has been a really ugly bride week for you, He still will take you. The groom knows his bride's heart. And I would just ask, think of it this way. We are incredibly skilled self-swindlers. And we think we're so much better than we really are. So much wiser than we really are. And I just ask that you would come before Jesus whatever you are right now. Jesus, would you just help me understand what's going on in my life? 
The groom knows his bride's heart. Secondly, the groom is out on the tolerance of relationship adultery with him. He's just out on that. This is not a call for pharisaical sin-pleasing. It's not a call for the quick, self-righteous, uh, heavy hand on one another. Like, if, if I find out you sin, we're coming at you hard and fast. No, not that. Grace should abound here. But we can't be a people that tolerate the ongoing of sin. We can't be that. I will just tell you by my nature, I would prefer to. I love people. I hate confronting. But I got to tell you, we can't be that. We can't be that. No matter how uncomfortable it is. And we do that because we love him and because we love each other. That's why we do that. And I think we just need to be better men and women at that. Hey, let's invite each other into each other's lives and check me out and help me. And you too. That's what small group's about. Rubbing shoulders together. We're to be a loving, gracious, giving, repenting people. Repenting is a good thing. More of that. Three, the groom deals with relationship adultery. Hey, have, uh, have you driven down the road? This is, I was in my car the other day. Just kidding. Uh, you're driven down the road, you know, I'm sure that's like you. It's tooling down the road, everything's going really cool. And, and then all of a sudden on the dashboard, the uh, check engine light comes on. Doggone it. Is that not annoying? Especially if you're in a purple Porsche. (laughs) Why is that light coming on? Because the light knows that something's not right. Now, if you're like me, I go to the internet and I go in and I check out how to take it off. (laughs) I do. And here's part of the reason why. Because I don't know if it's a false signal. But then you're driving to your purple Porsche again and it comes back on. Hey, it's not the high beam light. And it's also not the maintenance light that I've had on in my car for about three months now. <laughs> Past oil change. Just like, oh, please leave me alone. But this is a check engine light. It's telling you something you need to know. It's not there to hurt you. It's not there to chew you out. That light is there to to love on you. Because I'm sensing a problem here between the relationship between me and you. And you need to know about it. And that's what's happening in Thyatira. The groom deals with relationship adultery because he wants relationship. Fourth, the groom loves the bride that holds fast to him. Again, the bride is the local church here in the context we're talking, but the local church is comprised of individuals. Let me say it this way. Steadfast obedience marks a genuine church. Steadfast obedience marks a genuine church. Let me also state it this way. Steadfast obedience marks a genuine Christian. It shows. It shows what's really 
going on there. Tolerate what Jesus tolerates. Do not tolerate what Jesus does not tolerate. Let's pray. Lord, um, (laughs) groom, I just, after going through this text, when I started out at the beginning of this week, you know I was like, oh crud, how do we hit this one? But just to me, this text just, just exudes relationship. You desire relationship. You, you love your bride. You love your local churches. And the local churches are comprised of people that have been redeemed in you. Oh, Lord, I just pray that we would be a church that is very sensitive, very aware of being a people that loves you deeply and is not doing the slow fade dance. I pray that we would be a people that views sin seriously because you view sin seriously. And when we begin entering into that realm of Uh, jumping in bed with another lover besides you. What you must feel. And honestly, I think sometimes we just pure forget that. Because I think too often we see you as a fix. and not as our Savior who is redeemed for relationship. You are the perfect bride and we are the, you are the perfect groom and we are the imperfect bride. But we are your bride. How sweet is that? Lord, I pray just in this conversation this morning that if there's anyone who's here, doesn't know what it is to enter into a relationship with you that they would ask because we love them and if they don't bad things are ahead Lord thank you for your patience and thank you for letting us know may we learn from the church of Thyatira God, may this week, may we hold fast to you in a more intimate way, for real. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.